Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Nets world? You know what it is. The Believe in Nets podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. Let me give you a glimpse into my Friday. I wake up, have a nice breakfast. I say, you know, we're approaching the trade deadline six days away. I'm going to write a little trade deadline preview. I'm going to outline all the teams that the Nets could be looking at getting potential pieces from to help them for a stretch playoff run. Because despite Kevin Durant's injury, the Brooklyn Nets, after an insanely dysfunctional start to the season, look competent. They're playing good basketball. Everybody seems happy. Maybe they make some moves. Maybe they actually bring in some pieces that fit better to try to make a legit run at this for the first time in the last four years that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have been there. Now, four hours into my trade deadline preview, I look at my phone. It says it right there. Kyrie Irving demands trades from Brooklyn Nets. And when I see that alert, I look at myself and I'm almost a little angry with myself because I don't, nobody saw this coming. The top people in the NBA media world who are plugged into everything did not see this coming, but the tea leaves were there a little bit. Last week when I was at the Philly game covering, I wrote an article breaking down Kyrie Irving's leak from his agent, who's also his stepmother, Shatilia Irving, to Chris Haynes of Bleacher Report saying that Kyrie wants an extension and he said the ball is in the Nets' court. And I, I did, you know, understand obviously what Kyrie was trying to do there. I, in the title of the article, I put applying pressure to the Nets' front office. Of course, he's playing one of the best stretches of his career. He obviously wants his contract extension. It was a clear leverage play publicly to apply pressure to the Nets' front office. Did I think that that was going to culminate in a trade demand if the Nets didn't meet his request? No, but here we are for the second straight year at the trade deadline. I am trying to navigate a Brooklyn Nets trade request from a star. And this is three stars in James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, all of whom the Nets offered long-term extensions to. KD was the only one to sign. They have all requested trades now within a year period, which is absolutely insane. And, you know, it's life on the Brooklyn Nets beat. I tweeted it out yesterday after this happened. Okay, but just looking at the trade request and what led up to it, so like I said, Kyrie wants the extension. He puts out that public leverage play to Chris Haynes. Then it was reported by Shams yesterday that the Nets did offer Kyrie a contract extension, but it had stipulations in it. And according to Shams, Kyrie is vehemently against any stipulations in a contract extension because Kyrie Irving thinks that he deserves or he is the caliber of player who does not deserve to have those stipulations. So based on everything that Kyrie's posted on Twitter, he posted... Be around those who love you unconditionally. Know your worth, all this. He clearly thinks that those stipulations are a slap in the face. And do not forget that these are the second, this is the second straight round of negotiations that the Nets have put incentives or stipulations in Kyrie's deal. They did this over the summer when the, the contact negotiations with Kyrie broke down. Then Shams reported that the Nets offered him two and four year deals with incentives and triggers based on games played in the final two years. He initially was a little bit hesitant, then finally said no and made a counter offer, which the Nets declined. So this is the same thing repeating itself, but obviously Kyrie's 
reaction now is to request a trade. Unlike last time, he just opted into the final year of his contract. And initially, my thought process, and I think a lot of others, was this doesn't make any sense as a negotiation tactic because if the Nets aren't going to pay you, which you seem confident in you know, having requested a trade, you want a team to commit long-term money to you so you blow up your locker room for like the fifth consecutive time for little perceived benefit in the middle of the season. And I'm just thinking about that from the other team's perspectives. It's like, what team is looking at this and is like, yeah, that's our long-term guy. Because, you know, this is a prove-it year for Kyrie. And he initially obviously had the eight-game suspension for anti-Semitic posts, which I haven't even gotten into yet. But he's been one of the better players in the league since then. But, you know, with that suspension early in the year, now you're blowing up a locker room midway through the season. Is that the best way to go about getting a team to commit long-term money to you? I mean, initially, I thought that that was just insane. But then if you take a step back and look at it deeper, I've had a little bit of time to let it percolate. I am starting to break down the logic behind the trade. And Kyrie Irving's logic in my eyes is that he probably knows that there's not a lot of teams that are going to, or if any teams that are going to offer him long-term money this summer, there's a very, very, very finite. It only might be one or two teams. So having with him knowing that and having that knowledge, Kyrie obviously is plugged in around the league. He's been in the league for however many years now, you know, he has connections everywhere. If he ha- if he knows that, that he's not going to get the offer he wants. He obviously has had connections to the Los Angeles Lakers, which I'm going to get into more later. But the Lakers recently traded for Rui Hachimura, and they're one of the teams that you know could conceivably commit long-term money to Kyrie. But having, uh, having done that Hachimura trade, the Lakers are not going to be operating with cap space this summer. So Kyrie Irving knows that, and he knows that if he wants to get to the Lakers and... Ha- you know, for them to have the ability to give him the max contract that he wants, they need to inherit his bird rights via trade. So a trade is his only way to get to a team that he may perceive has the ability to give him the max money he wants. Because if nobody else is going to do it and the Lakers are my team, it has to be a trade due to the lack of cap space that they have in the summer. So, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, The logic makes a little sense. So he could be looking for two outcomes out of this trade demand. One is the Nets fold and pay him the long-term money, which seems extremely unlikely. Two is they work out a trade with the Lakers, which I'll get into the details of later, but centered around future first-round picks that should be unprotected so he can get to Los Angeles. They have his bird rights, and they can extend him for max money. The issue there is the reporting from Adrian Wojnarowski and other sources say that the Lakers are very hesitant, even then, to give him long-term money or commit to him a max contract, which makes an extreme amount of sense. I cannot see the Lakers giving him more than two years. And, you know, if he gets traded, there's also reporting from Bobby Marks that says that that's the max that Kyrie can get is a two year something in the 70 or 80 million dollar range of a max extension. So Kyrie's best option was to stay with the Nets and play this out and potentially get max money from them. He obviously has more information than we do that he may feel that that's just not going to happen. So that's what I take from this. Now, like I said, the Lakers being, you know, extremely reluctant to commit long term money to Kyrie being one of the most desperate teams in the league right now for star power or just anything to you know round out their roster alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis. 
That says a lot. That tells you where the market is for Kyrie Irving outside of Los Angeles. Because there's not, it's not like teams are foaming at the mouth to get into business with Kyrie Irving. It was the case this summer. It continues to be the case now. There was even a report, there was a tweet from Woj right after the trade came out that teams, you know, following the Kyrie Irving trade request, teams are more interested in seeing how this affects Kevin Durant. <laughs> there's so many hilarious tweets about that. It's like I saw one that was like, this is like the guy who's saying he doesn't want to be in a relationship, but it's like, what's up with your friend? <laughs> it's like that kind of deal. I remember over the summer, I think it was in me and Al Haskin on Sirius XM NBA radio where the Nets gave Kyrie permission to seek sign and trade partners and nobody was interested. He compared it to like in Hall Pass, the movie with Jason Sudeikis and Owen Wilson, when their their wives give them a Hall Pass and they go out and they realize that they can't get laid. Like that was his comparison, which I thought was like one of the funniest and most accurate things that I've heard on talk radio in a while. So this is playing out somewhat seriously. I do think that Kyrie has a little more value now because he's actually played for like a month and a half period, but. I mean, is that enough to convince a team to give him long-term money? It's not for the Nets, and the Nets know him better than anyone, and clearly it's not for the rest of the team. So talking about potential trade partners for Kyrie, because the Nets can play this one of two ways. They can call his bluff and pay out, play out the rest of this season and you know attempt to salvage this locker room and make a title run. That seems somewhat unlikely, if not very unlikely, because – this locker room looks like it could just be totally toxic right now. And not that it hasn't been in recent years, but it was starting to look somewhat normal. I've been around the team and around the locker room and it did not seem like there were any really issues. You know, Woj also reported that this was a complete shock to everybody in the Nets organization, including Kevin Durant, whether or not that's true, who knows, but at least the team is extremely shocked. There was another report that said people in the Nets locker room were walking around like, what the hell just happened? Because they did not see this coming at all. So having said that, it seems unlikely that the Nets are going to play this out. And it just doesn't seem like they want to be in business with Kyrie Irving anymore. And who can blame them after all this? I mean, there is blame to go around on both sides. And I tweet stuff out on Nets Twitter and I get just the Kyrie stands are like, like wolves coming into my mentions just just completely trying to just tear apart anything that I say that is negative about Kyrie Irving, who, as a basketball player, I love to watch play and I think can do things on the court that is un that are unbelievable. I mean, I've been, I grew up in New Jersey. I'm a Jersey guy. I've watched Kyrie Irving play in person since he was in high school at the Patrick School. I think that he's one of the most talented players ever, and I'd love to root for him as a Jersey guy. But when you take a step back and just look at how this has transpired over the last few years, Year one that Kyrie's in Brooklyn, Kevin Durant's not playing. He has a shoulder injury. The Nets want him to get it evaluated. He refuses to work with the Nets team doctors. He ends up only playing like 20 games or something. The next season, Kyrie Irving is, he takes a week hiatus followed by another near two-week hiatus without giving the team really knowledge of where he's at. Then it turns out that he's out partying at his sister's birthday party during COVID, maskless, which turns into a whole thing. And just another distraction overall for the Nets. Then refuses to take the vaccine and comply with New York's vaccine mandate, something that every other player in New York besides him did. Cost the Nets their season and eventually leads to James Harden you know, requesting a trade and the Nets getting saddled with Ben Simmons, who looks like a shell of himself right now. Fast forward to this year. He 
post the anti-Semitic film. He refuses to apologize for a week or two. It turns into a whole thing. He's suspended for eight games. It's a total media circus. And then to his credit, he comes back and plays for you know a month and a half, near two months at an extremely high level, all-star level. He's an all-star starter. But now he requests the trade and blows it up. And I... I ran through the perceived benefit and the logic that I see when it pertains to the Lakers and him getting his money. And, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, it's like, why would the Nets want to commit long-term money to him? It makes no sense. Then having said that, the other side of it is Joe Sy, the Nets owner, and Sean Marks, it's probably mostly Sy who's making these calls, has played this halfway from the jump. You can't play this halfway. I mean... It's tough because Kyrie kind of has them over a barrel because they know that they knew over the summer, at least, that without him, you can't contend. You know, Kevin Durant seems like he was more linked to Kyrie in prior years and leading up to this point. It seems like they're almost ready for an inevitable divorce. But Josiah's just been in the middle. He hasn't known how to make this work. I'm not that many people would with Kyrie Irving or how to just capitalize on him and move on and make this smooth. Just every step of the way, it's been a complete circus and the Nets have looked like a complete joke. The bulk of that fault obviously lies on Kyrie Irving because he's the one putting the Nets in all these situations. But Josiah and Sean Marks have proven incapable of handling this from a management standpoint, from a PR standpoint, from a value standpoint. They've just been terrible. But with Kyrie having at least played for a month and a half, which is crazy to me that like he, this is a prove it year for Kyrie, as I said earlier, he plays for a month and a half and it's like he wants his long-term money now and thinks that he is just above incentives or stipulations in a deal. It's like Kyrie, that's not how things work. Like you don't come to an NBA team after three years of dysfunction and play for a month and a half consistently and be like, now you should give me my bag. Now I've proven my worth. No, that's not how it goes. I'm sorry. But, you know, having said that, it seems likely that the Nets are going to look for a deal. So let's look for the potential suitors for the Nets. And when you're looking at them in this context, for a player like Kyrie Irving, who is extremely probably the most polarizing player in the league, you have to look for teams who are desperate. And usually in the NBA in this day and age, that comes down to teams with stars who they think may become disgruntled. And in that regard, there's three teams that come to mind for me here as Kyrie Irving's suitors. Number three would be the Dallas Mavericks, or number four, I'm sorry, would be the Dallas Mavericks, who I just don't see it happening with. Obviously, they have Luka Doncic. They let Jalen Brunson walk last season when they could have had him for two-thirds of what he's under contract for now. And the team has just turned into not a disaster, but they've really botched the supporting cast alongside Luka, who they obviously is priority number one, two, three, four, five, and six is keeping Luka Doncic happy. So they have incentive to want to get involved in a Kyrie Irving trade. Two reasons I don't think they will is they don't really have the pieces that would pique the Nets' interest, I don't think. They have Spencer Dinwiddie, obviously a former Net and fan favorite, but him and like a Christian Wood, him and a Dorian Finney-Smith, they I've heard from you know people in the league that they're reluctant to give up first-round picks, so... That package, if I'm the Nets, just isn't doing anything for me. So that combination of their lack of core pieces that are going to keep the Nets in serious contention and their reluctance to even fully get involved, 
that they're number four just due to their desperation, but I'm really crossing them off the list. Number three would be the Los Angeles Clippers because the Clippers are similar to the Nets. They're four years into now this Paul George, Kawhi Leonard tandem, and they don't really have anything to show for it. They had a really brutal start to this year. And as of late, they finally started playing some good basketball. They've won six of their last eight with Kawhi Leonard and with Paul George staying available. And the Clippers do have some pieces that could be interesting to the Nets if they wanted to remain competitive. They have guys like Norman Powell, Marcus Morris, Luke Kennard, Reggie, um, Reggie Jackson, uh, Robert Covington. I mean, guys who could at least be of interest. Terrence Mann is a piece that I think the Nets would be very interested in, but the Clippers aren't going to give him up for everything I've heard. So those pieces that I said, Morris, Powell, Kennard, uh, Covington, Jackson, and if they potentially want to get really aggressive and give up a protected future first-round pick, I think that really gets the ball rolling for the Nets because the Nets could take that package, they could take the first-round pick, one or two guys, and package it with picks they have to get something else and really remain competitive and serious about this season. So the Clippers, if they wanted to play ball, I know Zach Lowe said on the low post yesterday, I think it was, that he's heard that the Clippers aren't looking to be involved but if Steve Ballmer, known to be an aggressive owner, we've seen his blowups in press conferences with excitement. If he wants to get aggressive and really make a play to finally make a serious push for this year, he could be in the mix. So the Clippers are number three just from based off of what they can offer and a level of potential desperation. Number two for me would be the Los Angeles Lakers from the Nets perspective because the Nets, you know, it's difficult to discuss this when it pertains to the Lakers because in my eyes, it's extremely difficult to see the Nets putting a team together at the deadline and making a title run. That's not how things work. We've seen it with the Los Angeles. We've seen it with Golden State. We've seen it with now the um, Boston Celtics who look like the best team in the league. Normally, the majority of time, these things take a little bit of time. You need to play alongside each other for a little bit to be at that championship level. We saw it with the Miami Heat, even with the big three of LeBron, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. They needed time to play together. These things don't just happen. You don't just put a team together at the deadline and go and make a, a title run. That's a pipe dream. It's one that I see the Nets pursuing because they want to be competitive and keep KD happy, which makes sense. But you know, it doesn't happen. So if you're just looking at the sphere of assets that the Nets could get back in this in this trade for Kyrie, unprotected picks from the Lakers in 2027 and 2029, the picks that they've so you know tightly held onto this whole season in hopes that something like this would happen, those are the most valuable assets. Just from a long-term value perspective, those two picks are the most valuable things that the Nets could get back in this deal. But the catch 22 with that is if you get those picks back and you're just taking a Russell Westbrook back and shipping off additional salary with Kyrie Irving to get those two picks, you're not remaining competitive. And at that point, if you're not remaining competitive, Kevin Durant starts to look around and it's like, what am I, what am I doing here? This doesn't make any sense. So taking back those picks with, which I do see as the best assets would require you to probably then trade Kevin Durant, which the Nets don't want to do right now. So that doesn't make a ton of sense. Then if you're looking at the Lakers from trying to stay competitive from that standpoint, they would have to offer the Nets a first-round pick 
then you would need Russ to match salary, but you would need Russ going to a third team. And in order to get Russ to that third team, you'd have to use one of those two picks to get the third team to take on the salary. So then you're talking with the Nets about you know, getting additional pieces back from a third team with one first round pick, but Russ doesn't have that much value. So what are they really going to get back from the third team? And it really just gets extremely complicated and it doesn't seem like it's a good route for the Nets to get the best return back to stay competitive. So that is where it gets extremely difficult with the Lakers. And it's why I have them at number two. But the additional catch with that is if Kyrie Irving says that he wants to go to the Lakers and I'm only going to re-sign with them, and this is a rental for everybody else, the Nets lose some leverage there. So you have to see how this plays out. But that's something that I could see coming out of Kyrie Irving's mouth very soon in this process, based off of what I said when I broke down the logic about this deal and the Lakers having his bird rights if they trade for him and being able to give him that max extension. So I said Mavericks four, Clippers three, Lakers two, and my number one trade partner for the Brooklyn Nets in Kyrie Irving negotiations is the Phoenix Suns because the Phoenix Suns are the team that can offer the Nets pieces that legitimately keep them in the title conversation or in contention at least. And obviously that would be headlined around Chris Paul, who they, you know, has looked a little bit better as of late, but is 37 years old, is obviously aging. His value is not where it used to be, and it's only going to trend in one direction, and that's down moving forward. But he still has some value to a team that's trying to win right now, such as the Nets with a Kevin Durant. So you have Chris Paul, you have pieces like Cam Johnson. I know that the Nets are extremely high on Mikhail Bridges, like the rest of the league. I don't know if the Suns would give up him. But and then you have Jay Crowder, who is, you know, his value is plummeted because he hasn't played all season and he's like the role player in the NBA. We're getting to the point where role players can now hold out and demand trades. But you have, you know, I think a deal headlined around those three guys, Chris Paul, um, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, if the Suns would maybe give up a pick, that really, really gets interesting. And that's when I posted a trade earlier where there's been a, a lot of different trades floating around Twitter proposals like this. That's where if you bring in the Toronto Raptors, who are the X factor in all of this to me, because the Raptors, the entire team is watching Toronto and the struggling Raptors ahead of the deadline because they're sitting on a treasure trove of valuable trade pieces that just haven't meshed together there, you know, north of the border. So they are a third team that if the Nets, the framework appears to be if the Nets can get a few valuable pieces back for Irving in a draft pick. They could take one of those two pieces with that draft pick, potentially throw in their own draft picks and get back players from Toronto like an OG Ananobi, like a Gary Trent Jr. So that is the path, the most logical path for the Nets to stay competitive. So having said that, that's why the Suns are my number one team, because they have the pieces to keep the Nets competitive that they can potentially flip and, you know, to a team like Toronto and get back more pieces to make a deal where they're actually getting something close to a value, if not maybe even a little better, back in return for Kyrie Irving. And the Suns, like I said, teams who are desperate. I mean, Devin Booker is there. Chris Paul is 37 years old. He's not getting, you know, any better. They've had a really rough start to the year after having one of the best seasons in NBA history, best regular seasons in NBA history last year. They could be getting a little antsy, new owner to make a move to keep them competitive this year. Like I said, like the Clippers in a Western conference, that's wide open. It's wide open for the taking if you have the right pieces. So having said that, you know, a deal along those lines, something with the Nets getting back, 
Cam Johnson, Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, a first round pick, then taking, say, Crowder and that first round pick with a first round pick of their own and sending it to, you know, the Raptors and getting back a Gary Trent or an OG Ananobi for, you know, for Ananobi, I think it'd be two, maybe three first round picks for Trent. It'd probably be one and salary. That's what the rumors have been, but that's the framework of a deal that would keep the Nets competitive. And that's what I would be looking out for as Sean Marks tries to finagle and just work around this to keep KD happy, to keep the Nets competitive and to just end this saga with Kyrie Irving that it seems like has come to a head four times now in the last two years. It finally looks like it might be over. And it's unfortunate because the Nets are playing good basketball and it seemed like in this prove-it season, if Kyrie Irving played it out and if the Nets made a deep playoff run, that was his route to getting a legitimate extension from the Nets. But he blew it up ahead of the deadline. He doesn't think clearly that the Nets are going to do that. He's not confident in this team's ability maybe to compete with the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. So, the, you know, I apologize if I'm all over the place here, but there's obviously so much going into this that it becomes difficult to even in your mind formulate everything that's going on. I hope that I did a good job of breaking that down for you from the motives, from everything that led to it to the potential suitors and everything. I'll have more news updates analysis on all of this. You can follow me at Twitter on Eric Slater underscore. You can go to see all of my articles on clutchpoints.com as the Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for Clutch Points. You can see all of this, and this is going to be posted all on the Believe Podcast Network. So thank you for listening. Eric Slater will have more updates on this in days to come. Signing off, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.